And it's one minute after 8 o'clock. You are listening to 89.5 WPKN in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We broadcast to Fairfield, Litchfield, and New Haven counties in Connecticut, as well as Suffolk County and New York's Long Island. We also stream worldwide on the web at WPKN.org. Well, good morning. I'm Rob Silber, and it is time for our conversation with Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, mostly uh, having to do with the uh, new Tull album, Rock Flota, and the upcoming tour uh, that starts uh, this summer in the United States uh, called the Seven Decades Tour. But right now, let's kick off the interview with a tune from the new album. This is called Wolf Unchained on WPKN. Now, Ian, the sound of your flute playing has become an integral part of what some people would consider the Jethro Tull sound. But on this particular new album, Rock uh, Flota, uh, you make a point of including a lot more flute passages uh, in this particular uh, album. Uh, did you find that by including a lot more flute in here that you a- and uh, that you were actually still learning more about the flute uh, that you hadn't known, say, in the previous 50-plus years of playing it? Not so much that, really more a matter of just making sure that I represented the different um, some of the different members of the flute family and also to play not only in one kind of a voice, you know, to use different uh, ways of, of presenting the flute as a lead instrument, but it's not... Um, a radical departure is just really integrating things that I've been doing for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the reason for the spelling of uh, the particular the particular uh, album title? Well, it has nothing whatsoever to do with the, the dark fantasies of Motorhead or Motley Crue. Okay. Uh, who obviously think the use of the umlaut makes them macho and tough guys. All right. Uh, rook, the old Icelandic word rook, means destiny. And flota is the, the German spelling and pronunciation of the instrument I play. So they're, they're entirely legitimate uses of the umlaut. And um, I... Uh, I thought it was kind of fun in the sense that I began on day one of working on a new project with a working title of Rock Flute, simply because I told the record company it would be a rock album that was featuring all the members of the band, and it would prominently feature the flute. So the working title was Rock Flute for the first couple of hours, and then I started to develop ideas for a the detail of the project, and by the end of that day, it had become Rock and um, that's uh, what that's the, the pace of things you know working on a new project is mm-hmm. great to develop the idea and get get to the point where hopefully after a, maybe two days you have a the shape of the album pretty well locked in and then over the next two weeks you've written all the music and the and the lyrics now all the music um and the tunes on the album have been influenced by Nordic mythology. What is it about that particular subject that you found fascinating enough to build an album around? Well, the music hasn't been in any way influenced by Nordic mythology because we have absolutely no idea what 
the Nordic people listened Subject to back matter. in the uh, in the ninth or tenth or twelfth centuries. So it's it's the lyrics that are right. based on the characters and personalities of some of the Norse gods, as depicted in the poetic Edda, the first uh, attempt to write down the the, the Norse the Norse myths and legends. Uh, and, and that was in um, what, in the 12th century. So it uh, was at the point where Christianity had already pretty much displaced the uh, the, the the old beliefs, the, uh, the, the the beliefs which were you know very much part of the enduring myths and legend. But when it came down to a practical a practical religion that people could really believe in and go along with, and the narrative, the, the storytelling of Christianity obviously held greater appeal than the rather fantastic uh, personalities and characters of the gods that seemed, I suppose, increasingly more fanciful. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, they were superior humans, and um, that's the, the nature of, uh, of, of many of those traditional beliefs in uh, in in uh, religions that employ a number of gods to satisfy the the wide variety that human beings want to take under their wing, um, the polytheistic beliefs of, of Greek mythology and Roman mythology, and then the Germanic mythologies that ended up in 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 the in the Nordic lands. They are based on superior humans, with occasionally animals thrown in as well. But mm-hmm. for the most part, they are just superior humans, and, and, and that makes them easy to understand and easy to identify with. But I think the more um, the, the greater narrative of Christianity is what swung people away from a belief in fantastic uh, creatures and, and beings. It was something we all perhaps could more readily identify with if we wanted to follow that narrative. And I suppose the Abrahamic religions had, had come come to rest and root in, in society a thousand years ago, well and truly. And uh, and we put those polytheistic beliefs behind us, except for the, the Hindus who persevere to this day with a belief in a wide variety of gods. Many of them are, of course, animals in Hindu religion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's something for everybody. Uh, when, when, actually, when preparing for this interview, I, I thought I heard something, and maybe you can clarify for me, that one of the reasons also that you chose um, to do Nordic mythology as opposed to, say, Greek mythology or some other form of mythology is that you actually knew the least about it than the others, and you found it to be a challenge. Yes, it was a challenge because the uh, what had rather put me off uh, Norse mythology was the the fact that it is it has been identified with uh, quite frequently far right politics and and at its worst with the the frightening uh, relationship that was uh, held by um, uh, Heinrich Himmler amongst others who believed in the in this fantastic. Uh, superiority of the Aryan race, and um, that that you know rather put me off. I thought people might think I was celebrating the dark side of Norse mythology, which I'm not. I just t- t- took on the challenge really because I wanted to try and write about it in a 
in a in a way that was a little bit more sensitive and and in a way where I could draw parallels between the personalities and roles of the old gods and um and people in in my world in recent times either people I know or people that I have uh, known about in in the either in the present age or in the 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 uh, in in the relatively recent past so that was part of the interest that it had for me was to relate the personalities to the world I know but um you know I think all of this remember was more than I mean it's a year and a year and five months ago. Right. It's all in the distant past. I have to wrap <laughs> my brains to remember what, what on earth I was actually writing about. All right. Because, um, you know, since then I've moved on to other things. And it, um, apart from the, the songs that we play live on stage from the album, the rest of it is um, uh, as much of a mystery to me as it probably is to you and people listening to it for the first time. Many veteran bands uh, like yourself find that at this stage of their careers that when they they find a bit of a frustration that when they go out that the crowd at this point really only wants to hear the old favorites and some of them have even stopped creating a new material and are just doing essentially a greatest hits performance but you continue to create this is the second new album in a year is that really what keeps you going and still being able to create new things after all this time well the albums were released uh, just over a year apart, but um, the Zelogy in the previous album of 2022 was actually largely recorded back in 2017. It's just that by the end of that year, I'd only finished four songs, and mm-hmm. and um, the pressure of touring and other things going on, I didn't get round to making doing the last five songs with the band, and, and then COVID came along, and that. That uh, put a stop to everything for a year and a half, after which I thought, well, I'm just going to have to finish the album by myself at home and um, and uh, do the last five songs, which had been all written back in 2017, but I didn't mm-hmm. record the last five until 2021. So uh, the albums were released relatively close together, but the actual time between the writing of them is you know, four, four and a half years. Okay. Now, the tour, uh, which is actually going to bring you to our area at the end of October, is called the Seven Decades Tour. So, obviously, you're going to be going back over the years um, of Jethro Tull's 50-plus year history. Now, aside from doing some of the tunes, which are the obvious favorites that you have to include, how do you go about choosing uh, the songs from 50 years' worth of material? Well, I go through set lists going back several years and try to make sure that I don't just accidentally or on purpose come up with the same set list that I might have played last time I was in your town. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is okay. to go and, and look at all the previous visits to different places. And then, and then you know, try to be picking something from each period of music that, that perhaps sums up the the things that I was writing and recording at that time. So as you can imagine, there are there are a couple of songs from the, the late 60s and some songs from the 70s and so on and so forth. But um, it, it really is also about picking songs that are in different tempos and different keys, songs that have um, perhaps a few of the older catalogue pieces are not, not, not so familiar to people. I think in America you call them deep cuts, 
Yes. It sounds like a, a, a radio accident while shaving, but um, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the uh, and then of course you know we do we do include uh, a couple of songs from this elegy and a couple of songs from the new album, and uh, that's that's about as big a risk as I would want to take without without putting people off because I don't think you're quite right. People don't come to see old bands like us in order to in order to listen to an entire new album played back to back, which I think you know possibly would be um, a little foolhardy for most people to do that and would not satisfy the audience at all. So you know, playing playing a few songs, sort of recent ones, is okay. I seem to they seem to have a um, a pretty pretty good um, uh, impact on the audience in the sense that they they're either being very polite and showing enthusiasm that they don't really feel or they or they do genuinely enjoy them but you know it's just about finding a finding a balance really and that concludes our interview with uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. I hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as I certainly enjoy doing it. It was uh, really a big thrill for me. I've been listening to uh, Jethro Tull since uh, high school and now that I am officially a senior citizen i'm still listening to jethro tull and it's it's great to see that uh, they are still putting out uh, new and vital material 